Well, look, we have been in a spirit of true excitement here at Church at the Bridge because we're gearing up for something that we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks starting in July called Love Our City. And the reason why we are taking on the city, we're taking on our region, is not because we want to just do something where we pat ourselves on the back. It's not because we want to do something just to be good little Christians for one week and then we just forget about our community. No, friends, this is practice for what we're supposed to do every single day. How many of you know that loving our neighbors is not something that we do just when we sit, somebody, sit next to somebody here in this house? How many of you know that loving our neighbors means loving the people all around us? Come on and give God some praise if you believe that. And so we've been studying the parable of the Good Samaritan in, in, in reflect, and reflecting upon the truths that it reveals to us. Because, you see, this parable was Jesus' response to a man who thought that he knew what loving your neighbor meant. This man thought that he had it all together because he was a religious expert, a Jewish religious expert, someone who followed the Mosaic law to the T in people's eyes, but we know as humans failed at it too. And so this man went to Jesus one day and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? In other words, here's what he's saying. How do I actually become a part of this kingdom that you're announcing, this kingdom that you're saying is now come? How, how does this work? How do, how do I come into that level of relationship with God? And the Bible says that Jesus responds to him, well, you know the law. How do you interpret it? And the man responds to Jesus and says, well, instead of saying, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that, here's what he responds wisely, actually. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that's so powerful because this man had a revelation that everything that God calls us to is to love him first and foremost, but on par, on the same level, to love people with that same love. Isn't that powerful? And so, in other words, we're supposed to be doing something with this. But what's interesting is that when Jesus and this man have this encounter and he gets this revelation, he responds to Jesus and he says this, so who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And he was testing Jesus because, you see, in, in Mosaic law, your neighbor is your fellow countryman. In other words, to him, my neighbor is my fellow Israelite. And it sounds like you're telling me that I'm supposed to love everyone. Yeah, exactly. And so Jesus responds to this question with a parable. And we have to start thinking about why would Jesus use a parable? And parables are powerful because parables are stories, right, analogies that the Lord would use to simplify kingdom realities, to reveal spiritual truth in a very practical human way. To bring it to our understanding. And so he was teaching this man a lot of things in this parable. One of the things that he was teaching him we saw in week one is that you can't love God and not love your neighbor. It just doesn't work that way. This is not love. Right? And so we're supposed to love our neighbors. We saw last week that we have to get over it. Right? That if we're going to love our neighbors, we have to begin to look at our own biases and get over them. 
We have to begin to push past our preconceived notions of people and communities and, and circumstances around us. And we need to see them with the eyes of God and love them with the love of God. Well, today, I want to talk to you directly from the heart of God on the topic, bite the bullet. I'm going to tell somebody, bite the bullet. Tell the other person on the other side of you, bite the bullet. Yeah, now, I don't know about you, but biting bullets doesn't sound too appealing, right? Who's going to bite a bullet? But you see, this man had no idea that loving God and being in his kingdom entailed loving people to a great extent. So let's dig back into the parable and let's see what God wants to say to us directly from his word. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 30, says, Then Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This is Jewish country. This is a Jewish context, which means the only people that belong in this parable are Jewish people. Only Jewish people. And what we see is that this man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho was attacked by robbers and they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and then they went away and they left him half dead. Verse 31 goes on to say that a priest happened to be going down the same road. This person belongs in the story. This is a Jewish person. This is not just any Jewish person. This is the equivalent of what we would call today a, maybe a pastor, an apostle, right? Someone that we would equate today to a Christian who understands the truth. So this priest sees this man as he's going down the same road. And the scripture says that when he saw the man, that he passed by on the other side. So the person that belonged in the story did not do what was called for in the story. So too, the scripture says, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. This, too, is someone who belongs in this story. This is a Jewish servant. This is someone who operated in a religious fashion. This person is supposed to know what to do. They're supposed to love their neighbor. And while we don't know much about the person who's laying on the ground, we, we can pretty convincingly conclude that it was probably a Jew because it's a road from Jerusalem to Jericho which means this is a person who's going from the place of worship to a town where only uh, uh, rabbinical uh, teachers, uh, um, I'm sorry, not rabbinical, uh, Jewish uh, priests lived in Jericho. And so we go on to see that a Samaritan, a Samaritan, say that with me, but a Samaritan, this person does not belong in the story. They should not be in this story. This person has nothing to do with the context in which Jesus is speaking. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. He does what was supposed to be done. And when he saw him, watch this, he didn't walk away. He didn't pass him by. The scripture says he took pity on him. This isn't, you know, like, I feel sorry, let me give you a handout pity. This is actually the Greek word for compassion, which in, in, in Jewish uh, uh, thought back in those days, they believed that love, true love, came from the deepest part of your souls, your, your bowels. And so this is love, the love of God. This is a deep love, a sincere love. And so he loved this man. And watch to what extent he loved him. It says he went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and he poured wine and then he put the man on his own donkey. 
He brought him to an end and he took care of him. But it gets better. Goes on to say that the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Don't miss this. He stayed overnight with this guy caring for him. And then he goes to the innkeeper the next day and he gives him the two denarii. He says, look after him. And when I return, listen to his intention. I'll be back for you. I'm not in this for the short term. Right? He says, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so Jesus shares this parable, and then he turns to this Jewish expert, this person who supposedly had it all together. And he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the scripture says that this man responds in kind and says, the one who had mercy on him. The one who loved the person who was on the ground, down and out. And then Jesus says this, okay, so go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Now, if I were to ask you, if Jesus was to insert you into this story, which character would you want to be in this story? Would you want to be a robber? Would you want to be the... The priest? Would you want to be a Levite? No? Okay. If there's anybody in this house or online and you would want Jesus to identify you as the Samaritan in the story, go ahead and shout nice and loud. Oh, none of you want to be the Samaritan. Oh, 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 okay. We're, we're not even in a Christian church at this point. <laughs> Let's try that again. If you would want Jesus to insert you into the story and you would like for him to identify you as the Samaritan. You think I would be identified as the Samaritan. Go ahead and give God some praise. Wow, that's, that's all of you. That's great. That is awesome. But let's really talk about this. Because we have to consider what it takes to go and do likewise like the Samaritan. We got to really think about what Jesus is getting at here. We're going to look at this from another angle, right? Remember, we're talking about biting the bullet, right? And I want you to notice the great extent to which this Samaritan went to love and serve his fellow man, someone who most likely was an enemy to him because they were most likely a Jew. And what we see is a couple of things. I'm just going to point these out. I didn't note them there for you. It says one of the things that we see is that he was conscious of people along the way. Listen, this guy wasn't just walking by casually. He wasn't on a stroll. He was aware of his surroundings, and more importantly, he was aware of the people in his path. Kind of like what our life should look like, right? What we also see was that he was willing to change his plans. We have no idea exactly where he was going, but we know he was on this road. And so he was on his way somewhere. But at the drop of a dime... His plans changed. He was willing to change his plans. We also see that he helped stop the bleeding. This man was left half dead. He was beaten. He was naked. Right? And this man goes above and beyond to bandage his wounds, the scripture says, which tells us that he's bleeding out. And so this man dared to go above and beyond to help a hurting person stop in the place of their hurt. 
That's powerful. What else do we see? We see that he used his resources. I want you to think about this. Wine and oil today is not like it was back then. We're not talking about the wine and oil that you might get at Walmart. I'm not talking about canola oil, right? Oil in these days was extracted directly from the root, right? Most likely olive trees and all that. And so this was expensive stuff. And this man used his personal resources. He also incurred personal expense, right? He came out of pocket. He said, look, this is going to cost me something, but I'm going to pay for it. Why? Because this hurting person deserves an opportunity to encounter their healing, right? What else we, do we see? We see that he was committed to care for the long haul. He didn't just kind of drop this guy by at St. Luke's and say, hey, you guys are experts. Take care of the guy and, uh, yeah, hopefully he doesn't die. No, this guy stayed with him the night. And then the next morning, because he was heading somewhere, he says, I'm coming back. But let me leave you a down payment just in case you incur some extra expense. Right? So he was committed for the long haul. He wasn't committed just for a moment. And what we also see is that everything that he did, he did sacrificially. Do you see that in the scripture? This man did it sacrificially, which tells us something, friends. It tells us that wherever the love of God is in operation, wherever there are people that are loving their neighbors, remember the context. Jesus is telling us not just who to love, he's telling us how to love them. And so wherever the love of God is in operation, wherever there are people loving their neighbor, friends, according to the parable, what we see is that there is sacrifice. The sacrifice. It just got real quiet up in here. Let's fill that space for a moment. Everybody say it with me. I love. I really, really love. I really, 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 really love. Pastor Jose. Thank you. I feel better already. I feel like I am now able to deliver the rest of this message. I'm telling you right now that this message is going to challenge the very fabric of our understanding of what it means to love our neighbors. And I'm going to say this because I love you. I make no apologies for the truth in God's word. I make no apologies for the truth in God's word. See, we have to understand that to reach people with the love of God, we have to, we have to love them sacrificially. Like, we have to go out of our way. If we're not living sacrificially and loving our neighbors sacrificially, friends, then we're like the robbers. We're like the priests and the Levite. We're either taking from people or we're just passing them by. And according to the words of our Lord, According to the example that Jesus gives us through this parable, that's not love. See, we can't claim to love God, and we can't claim to love people if we don't love sacrificially. That is just a reality, friends. It is a scriptural truth. It is heaven, heaven touching earth and bringing the truth right smack in front of us. 
I toyed with the idea. I was joking around with uh, Hasina, our worship leader, and I said, I think I'm going to change the, the title of this message to Smack, Smack, Smack. <laughs> and then she was like, nah, Pastor, I don't know, I don't know about that one. So, yeah, it's, it, no, but it's, it's a wake-up call. Like, it really challenges us, right? So let's dig into this. Let's talk about this issue of sacrifice and how do we go about really biting the bullet? How do we live sacrificially? And the first thing that we need to understand and we really need to begin to apply is that love without sacrifice is not love. Friends, it is theft. Love without sacrifice is not love. Why? Because we're stealing. We're functioning like the robbers. How, how, how do we get that? Get this. The religious expert wanted to inherit the kingdom of God, despite the fact that he was testing Jesus, despite the fact that he thought he knew more, right? He asked a very interesting question. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I do this thing according to the kingdom of God? How is this supposed to work? And because he wanted to inherit the kingdom of God, that sounds great, but what we see is that to him, to inherit the kingdom of God, if he was going to love someone, it didn't require much sacrifice. I'll tell you how we get that. Because in his understanding, to love his neighbor was to operate at baseline. In other words, we're from the same town. We're from the same country. Hey, we're possibly family I see you in Torah class. We go to the, to, to the synagogue together, right? We worship together. We offer the same sacrifices. We follow the same God. And so to him, to love your neighbor was simply to operate at baseline. It was to do the bare minimum because the law said it. And you know what the truth is? And if the shoe fits, please don't wear this one. Just recognize that it really is time to change it. You know what the reality is? That for some of us in this journey of faith as Christians, we subscribe to baseline. I'll just love my neighbors when I go to the house of worship. I'll just love the people that are closest to me. I'll just love those that, that I feel I should love. And what we're going to see in the scripture is different. See, this man wanted to inherit all that relationship with God afforded him without doing the same for others. And friends, that's because he didn't understand love at its core. Let me show you what I mean. 1 John chapter 4, we're looking, starting at verse 7, says this. Those who are loved by God. Somebody say, that's me. That's me. Come on, if you believe that, say, that's me. that's me. Right? Oh, you guys sound so excited. Yes, that is you. But let's see what the truth is attached to that. Those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour out from you to one another. Wait, wait you, you, mean, you mean it's not just for me? You mean that I can't just, I am loved, Father, I'm loved by you. Right? Yeah, that's awesome. Great, you are loved by God. But that love has to go beyond you and me, right? 
And so it goes on to say, because God is love. This is why it's supposed to be that way. Because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. Now watch this. It goes on to say, the one who doesn't love has yet to know God. For God is love. It gets better. Watch this. It says, the light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. So get this, this this love deal is not for the moment. It's a lifestyle, right? It's not just something that we do every now and then or because, you know what, the church that I go to, they're going to be doing something for the community. So this is the perfect time to love our neighbors. No, this is practice. Practice for what we're called to perfect on a daily basis among people. Right? Verse 10 goes on to say, this is love. Don't miss this. This is the definition of love. This is love. He loved us before we loved him. Watch this. It was his love, not ours. It's his love, not ours. It's his love, not ours. Don't miss that point. He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrifice, sacrificial offering to take our sins. Delightfully loved ones. If he loved us with such tremendous love, then loving one another should be our way of life. The words of Jesus and the example that we see in 1 John 4 tells us that loving our neighbors is not a touch-and-go affair. It actually conveys to us that it, this is a touch-and-stay affair. This is my life. This is how I lead my life. This is how I view people. I am not saying that this is easy, friends. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not, I'm not going to act like it's not. Like, like, like it's not hard. It is hard. But it's necessary. It's necessary. See, this religious leader's error was that he thought God's love was his to give. He thought it was his to give. And according to 1 John 4, what we see is that it's his love, not ours. How many of you know that when, it, when something's not yours, you can't use it how you exactly want to? You have to use it according to the terms defined by the one who owns it. We cannot misuse and abuse God's love by simply hoarding it for ourselves. See, when we withhold the display of God's love unto our neighbors, friends, we're actually stealing from God because we're keeping it for ourselves. We're not using it the way the master, almighty God, intended his love to work. It's stealing. It's theft. And so, therefore, we should live, we should adopt a lifestyle to love our neighbors because, friends, if we're not loving our neighbors, here's the truth. We're not truly living. We're missing out on everything that God has. 
The second point I want to give you here is that loving freely isn't cheap. Sacrificial love isn't cheap. It comes with a high price. You know, this gospel that we, we have received, this truth that we have received about Christ as our Savior, about the blessing of God, about the provision of God, about the goodness of God, about the forgiveness of God, right? It, it's a great gospel, but many people start to fall away from this gospel when they realize that while we've received it freely, we can't withhold it because we're cheap. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about the reality that we just want it for ourselves, but we're not willing to apply it and do what it calls for sacrificially for the benefit of another. Now, remember, you said you love me. I mean, some of you said you really, 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 really love me. So, I'm, I'm just, you know, because you love me, then I can, I can share this with you, right? And if you don't love me right now, that's okay. Because whom God loves, he corrects. Yeah. So, see, this religious expert was willing to freely love a neighbor, an Israelite. Which Israelite am I supposed to love, Jesus? And Jesus drops the mic in that moment. It's one of those moments. He blows everyone's mind because he inserts a Samaritan into this story. And if this, you, you got you to gotta appreciate what was happening in context here. This guy is hearing Jesus throw a Samaritan into the story, and the Samaritan does what the Jew is supposed to do, and the Jew doesn't do it. The Jew does what the Samaritan should have done. And this guy is blown away. He's going, how dare he say that us Israelites, that we, we, we wouldn't care for each other? How, how, how dare he infer that? But you see, this man wasn't willing to freely love the one that Jesus put into the story. His love is cheap because it brought little value to the lives of those who really need it. If we think loving our neighbor is just simply loving the people that we're close to, or that we, we feel some sort of connection to because of some sort of similarity or some outward appeal, friends, that's not love at all. That's cheap. It's a knockoff of love. John 15, 13 puts it this way. Say this with me. Greater what? Greater love. Greater love. Greater love. Greater love, greater love. So, so let's, let's really dig into what Jesus is saying here. Because in this moment when Jesus penned these words, when he, when he said these words that were transcribed for us to, to retain till this day, he's about to be crucified and he's saying, man, I'm about to lay it all down for you. And he goes, greater love, greater love, greater love, the pinnacle of love, the mountaintop of love, the finish line of love. 
Love at its optimum performance. Love to the max. Love to the very best. Love the way God calls us to love. That love, greater love, has no one than this. And then he defines what that finish line looks like. That someone laid down his life for his friends. Wait, 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 Pastor Jose, wait, wait, wait. But you, you just showed us from the scripture that we're not just supposed to love our friends. You see, the original language here, the word friend there does mean someone you know. But you know what else it means? It means you're someone you don't know. It's the person, it's the stranger, the person you have no connection to. It's one of the ways that this word is used. So some of us might believe that this specifically teaches us to only love our friends. But let me tell you why Jesus called the person that we are to lay our life down for a friend. Because last time I checked, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. The world. The world that he gave his son. He gave his son to die, to suffer. The book of Isaiah puts it this way. He was bruised for our transgression. He was chastised for our peace. The punishment that was upon him, right, that punishment was for us. That was our punishment. And he took it on. And by his stripes, the scripture says, we are healed. Listen to this. When God decided to love the world, he didn't pick and choose people. He chose the world. And guess what that tells us? Those are his friends. Those are the friends that we're supposed to lay our life down for. I'm reminded of a, an article I read a while back. I won't get into too much detail, but there's a woman by the name of Karen Bennett. She was a young, single, white female. Some of you are thinking about the movie, and you think, oh, this chick was crazy. No. No. Right? Some people might think she was crazy. I'll tell you why. Because in 1990, Karen Bennett and five of her friends did something that was unprecedented. They went into a neighborhood in downtown Atlanta that had a lot of challenges. And children were dying regularly there. Families were broken there. And she didn't go there because she felt pity for people. No, she had compassion. And so this single white female with her single white friends said, we need to do something. And so for six months, they went into this area. And they, they started a kids' ministry. It was strictly for kids. And they had teenagers and they had uh, little kids. And parents would just come drop them off. And they would do all this ministry for these kids. And this continued to grow and grow. And week after week while they were doing this, they were reaching thousands of children. Thousands of children. From what I understand, they were making about 4,000 contacts a week with children, ministering to them, bringing them hope. And so it got to a point where they realized we need to make a firm commitment. 
we got to set some roots down here. So they found, they were looking at warehouses. They were looking at all these places. They couldn't find a place. And they had no money, but they was just looking. It reminds me of us. Because we had no money, and we were just like, we got to find somewhere. And this is why it really reminds me of us. Because the place that they found was an abandoned bar. It was an old, dilapidated, abandoned bar. And when they get there, the plumbing didn't work. There were no toilets in the building. The heating system didn't work. And they said, this is it. They were in the middle of a community where there were 25 different housing project buildings. And so they were doing this for a while. They're reaching all these kids, and they realize, man, you know, uh, this isn't going to work because, you know, we got no money. We, can, we, can't, we can't afford this place. So they get the building. The guy was asking $2,000 a month in rent, right? It, it could have been $2 million for, for, all, for all intents and purposes because to them, they didn't have that money. When they pulled their money together, all they had was $56. You're talking about young women in their early 20s, right? They were probably in college, right? They had no money. And so you know what they did? They said, well, you live in this suburb, and you live in this suburb. How much do you pay for rent? How much do you pay for rent? How much do you pay for rent? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave our apartments because we can't have these apartments and have this ministry too. They moved into the building. And what they would do is because they were, the plumbing was shot and they didn't have money, they would go down to the Hardee's that was by a truck stop where they had showers for truckers. And they would use the bathroom there, and they would take showers there, and then every week when they got paid from their jobs, here's what they would do. They would take all their money, and they would pull it together and put it into the ministry, and they would each allow themselves a $20 expense for the week. That's what they took. And they made it between them. It's probably ramen noodles and, I don't know, whatever else, but they did it, right? Now, here's what's interesting. Not only did they make these sacrifices, but their success came at a great cost. Came at a great cost. You know why? Because Karen and her staff, right, now you're talking years later. They, she's 16 staff, right? This model has been replicated in different parts of the country, right? Successful ministry, reaching many kids, right? They paid the ultimate price. You see, they're a successful ministry reaching many children. But what you may not know is that Metro Assembly has been broken into over 70 times over the years. Karen herself has been mugged. Three of her staff have been beaten up by the same teenagers that attend their services. Ten of their children who attended their first church service have been murdered. And her first funeral that she performed was for one of her staff members who died at the hands of someone from that community. And Karen's response to all this is this, and I quote, if you decide that what God is asking you to do with your life is just too much on you and is just a little too inconvenient, then you will never see the miracles that God has for you. The Samaritan 
and Karen laid down their time, laid down their possessions, laid down their finances. They laid it all down. Why? Because people matter to God. Because the people that we pass by are the ones that he wants us to stop for. And this is, I'm not just talking about impoverished people. Because that's where we tend to go as Christians. That's a bias, by the way. It's not just impoverished people. You know, there are people that look like they have it all together and they are hurting, man. They need Christ. And you would never know it unless you stopped and took a walk with them and took an interest in getting to know them. You know, friends, this, when it comes to this sacrifice deal, this isn't, this isn't for the moment. I've said that, but I want you to see what sacrifice actually is. Romans 12.1 puts it this way. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Let me just stop right there and clarify what that means. Because of God's mercy, because of God's love towards us, in view of that mercy, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. You know why the scripture calls it a living sacrifice? Because daily we live and daily we must die. I'm going to give God some praise for that. Isn't that great news? I, I get it. This is not, this is not that feel-good message that you might want to be hearing. But this is the truth. And watch what it goes on to tell us. That in view of God's mercy, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Watch why. This is your true and proper worship. Leave that scripture up there for a moment. Consider what God's word is revealing to us. Oh, I worship God. Show me the extent of your sacrifice. To what extent are we willing to go? And let me just say this. I struggle to say stuff, stuff like this because I'm going to tell you honestly, it, 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 it eats at that area where I'm still growing called pride. I'm still undoing that. I struggle to say this, but I'm going to say it. I would never teach you something that I myself, that we ourselves have not done and are not willing to do. In this moment, you know, I'm reminded of the words of Paul where he says, Follow me as I follow Christ. But what was that example? Paul laid it all down. And friends, I'm not saying this because it's me or it's Pastor Annette, but you have no idea. It's not just me and Pastor Annette. There are countless people in this house that we lay it down. Lay it down. Do you know how many places we've had the opportunity that we could go to and we said, not going there? You know Why? Because we understand we got to lay it down here first. Amen. 
You don't know what it is to have faith in God until all you can do is have faith and lay it down. This ministry was founded on decisions like that. Man, nail-biting, heart-wrenching. Man, do we pay this bill? Or do we take these $476 that's our tithe because that was with the tithe on our last check from the ministry we left? Or do we take this and put it towards the ministry? Well, we, we decided to do the latter. We're going to do what God has called us to do. That very same day, somebody who had come to the church, to, to our house, really, for our first service, I don't even, we, to this day, we don't know who it is. That's one of, the, one of the people that came literally put an envelope at our door. And what you didn't, because we, we, everything we do, we do with integrity. We said, if we're going to found a church, then we're going to do it right legally. We're going to go through the proper channels. That, that's, that means cost. And we knew what the cost was. We didn't have it, right? And we were going to pay out of pocket, but we couldn't. We paid our bills. We paid everything. And, 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 and we gave sacrificially, and we were like, okay, how's this going to work? Can I tell you that someone knocked on our door, left an envelope, and it was the exact amount, $2,000, to do the paperwork and go with the lawyers to do what we had to do to establish the church legally. Don't tell me that when we give sacrificially that God doesn't give us in greater return. And so we got to understand that if we're going to talk about true and proper worship, it's not talking about I worship you. Almighty God, there is none like you. Listen, you can sing that song, but if you're not living sacrificially, what you're actually saying is, I worship me. Almighty God, there is none like me. Yeah, we're really worshiping ourselves. What I want you to see is that worship is synonymous with sacrifice. See, you can't love and worship God without living sacrificially. And so because we're just training, you know, look, I, I wasn't going to do this, but again, I'm just going to eat at that pride and I'm going to address it. I'm going to address it. What you may not know, some of you know this because you've been around here long enough, is that month after month here at Church of the Bridge, can't speak for anyone else, we give sacrificially. We support children in their education. We help fund programs in our community. We give to various causes. We help support pastors. We give to other ministries. We truly do extend the right hand of fellowship in every way. And I was praying about this because I was struggling with this. One thing that we don't do is we never invite people to live sacrificially. If you know anything about us, we will not beg anyone. We will not belittle anyone. We will not abuse or misuse the word to tug at people's hearts to say, hey, you got to give because of this and God will give you it a hundredfold. <laughs> we don't play those Semantics. We don't. We don't do that. We don't do Christian hula hoops. We don't run a circus here. But I'll tell you what the Lord corrected me on. If you look at the example of the Apostle Paul when he writes to the Corinthian church, he reminds them 
of what they had purposed in their heart and what they understood they were called to do. And he uses as an example one of the poorest people in the world that had a church. And he says, they begged us for the privilege, for the opportunity to help in doing what we're called to do for the church that's struggling and suffering in Jerusalem. Now, let me just be very clear. We're not struggling and we're not suffering here at Church of the Bridge. We're all right. But there is a spiritual principle, a kingdom principle that we cannot miss. Sacrifice also entails partnership. So going against everything within me and addressing my pride, here's what I'm announcing. I told the first service, and I'm going to say it again. Remember when we used to do Giving Wednesdays, for those of you that were here during COVID, right? You remember that? We, we, we gave over $30,000, poured it into various restaurants in this city, right, to help support them. And we took those prepackaged meals and we delivered them to various places, elderly people, uh, people in, in, in residential programs, people who were homeless, people that, you know, they were just struggling to make it by. You know, they had their little place, but, they, you know, a meal could help because I don't have to cook or I don't have to incur the extra expense. So we did that faithfully throughout that whole pandemic season, Right? And then it stopped. And that's fine. That was a great exercise on sacrifice. But here's what I'm announcing. Man, here at Church at the Bridge, we understand that God is a generational God. He's a God of legacy. He doesn't just call us to act in this generation, but for generations to come. And so, in the same fashion as we did Giving Wednesdays, every Wednesday going forward, you will see it. It's already live. It's in your app. It's in the giving portal on the, on the website. You're going to see a little link there that is an option to give that says legacy offering. And here's what I'm asking. I'm not asking you to do that on Sundays. I'm not asking you to replace your tithe or your offering. I'm asking you that on Wednesdays, just go there. We're not going to beg you. Nobody's going to chase you down. We're not going to be releasing a bunch of videos. Hey, please give to our legacy offering. We're not doing that. On Wednesdays, here's what I'm asking you to do is go and give above and beyond what you would give for your offering and your tithe. If it's a dollar, and it's more than what you baseline, it's sacrificial. If it's five, whatever God puts on your heart, but let's be diligent and let's do it. Let me tell you why, because we have made a commitment. We're here to stay. We're not touching and going. We're here to stay. And we're going to do that well here. We're going to do that well here. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm almost tempted to announce something else, but I'm not going to do that just yet. You'll have to stick around for that. I'm telling you that our commitment is for legacy. And so I invite you to practice giving sacrificially. Seriously, man. This is kingdom business. This is how the kingdom of God works. The last point I want to leave you with here, and I'm way over time, is this. If we don't love our neighbors sacrificially, our neighbors will become the sacrifice. If we do not love our neighbors sacrificially, we sacrifice them, friends. What am I talking about? Do you know that to not love your neighbor is the equivalent of telling them, go to hell? Paul puts it this way. How will they know unless a preacher is sent? 
How will they know unless somebody shows up and goes and loves them and leads them and, and, and takes the time to reach them and connect with them and, 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 and hear their story and share your story and, 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 and dare to be an influence used by God in the lives of others. To not love our neighbors is to tell them, go to hell. Luke 6, 35 and 36 says this. Rather, love your enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. Let me show you how this connects to the parable. The person that Jesus used to display love, the love of God in operation, was the enemy to the Jewish person. He says, yeah, love that person that you don't want to love. Love your enemies and continue to treat them well. When you lend money, don't despair if you are never paid back, for it is not lost. You will receive a rich reward, and you will be known as true children of the Most High. True children of the Most High. True children of the Most High, because this is what true children of the Most High do. Having his same nature. Be like your father who is famous for his kindness to heal even the thankless and cruel. Overflow with mercy and compassion for others. Just as your heavenly father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. Let me bring that a little bit closer to home. Just as your heavenly father overflows with mercy and compassion for you. Let's stand here today. Today's the day. Today is the day where we go from playing games, playing church, for some of us, today's the day where we say, I'm going to love my neighbor. And I understand what it costs. I understand the privilege that it is. I understand that this is bigger than me. We're a small part in a big picture, friends. But that small part is a big deal because it helps create what God wants the world to see. Today's the day. We lay it down. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.